Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. and welcome to Fruit Loops Season 3, Episode 2. Woo! Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well, the news and the president is racist, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> 
And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. Yes, that's right. And I also have to add that if you want to follow the discussion and you're like, Ooh, I don't fuck with Facebook anymore because my mom's on it, um, you can follow uh, the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. And um, I post um, things on Instagram and Twitter that we can talk about. So be part of the conversation there. Yeah. Um, Beth just explained we are very unqualified. But if you want to support us anyway, (laughs) you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. If you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. That's right. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Winston Mosley, also known as the man who killed Kitty Genovese. A very true crime case covered by many a podcast, many a movies, many a show. Yes. So yes, we got a different angle on it. Um, yep. But we'll get to that later. In the meantime, yeah. how you doing? <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, but it's been really freaking hot here. I know. And yeah, if you don't know about Phoenix, it's supposed to be monsoon season right now. And we usually start getting some rain around the beginning of July, which cools things off a little bit. But we haven't gotten any yet. I know. And it's just like, oh, so nasty and hot. It's, it's awful. It's mis it's miserable. Like I was walking it my really son is. into into like an activity that he does um at the Salvation Army and we parked far away and it was I think 115 that day and I was like, This is unsafe. This is criminal yeah. how hot it is. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I was at a friend's house over the weekend and uh we went outside for a little bit and I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> It was so hot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Like if there's not a pool around, a swimming pool, you shouldn't be outside. Yeah, just go all. inside. It's, yeah, yeah. Just go inside. But then, okay, so more about Phoenix. So it's the desert. It's really hot. It's really dry. And we, I, we have found this week probably four or five scorpions. They like oh to God. come out when it's hot too. Yeah. Ugh. So my husband Yikes. goes hunting, scorpion hunting at night. So he's been hunting around the house and finding them there. But like we found a little one this morning um, by the dishwasher. And uh... um, the kids found one in the toilet paper roll. Oh, my, oh my God. God. That's and scary. And my daughter, yeah, my daughter found one on her bed. So oh, no. They, so the reason why scorpions are dangerous, little if little kids or elderly people get stung, it's very dangerous, life threatening. Um, yeah. And so I 
freak out every time we find one. I mean, it's it's Arizona. We expect to find, you know, one or two. I don't know. Do you have them in your house? I don't, but I live in an established neighborhood and like uh-huh. pretty far in inward. So mm-hmm. like you're kind of out on the outskirts, like closer to like the desert. We're, um, yeah, we're right next to the mountain. We're at the foot. Yeah, of the mountain. South South Mountain. Yeah, so you're closer mm-hmm. to the desert, so that's probably why you're getting some. Uh, my neighborhood's uh-huh. been established for like 40 years, so we don't really get any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my neighborhood's only like 10 years old, but those visitors are unwelcome. So yes, very whenever unwelcome. we get the chance, we kill them. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so. Things have been good other than the scorpions. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. So now let's um, get into our mailbag. Right. <gasps> Listener letters. They're here. Hello, The wingspan on that one. All right. So take it away, Beth. <laughs> so Samantha on Facebook said, love the rapport between Wendy and Beth. Interesting cases each week and Culture Corner. So Ooh. I guess she loves Culture Corner, which I, I love Culture Corner. I've heard good things about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Paul on Facebook said, just getting into it. Like the rapport between the hosts and the depth of the issues they get into. So oh thanks, God, Paul and Samantha. You. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Here we thank go. You. Yes. Thank you both. Um, this review I'm going to read was left on iTunes by S. Bucks, I think. Um, uh, thank you so much for the review, by the way. Uh, the review is titled Enjoyable and Spot On. I completely enjoyed the podcast. The commentary, the hip hop air horn, you're going to get some extra. There you go. Love books. <laughs> also, um, I, got a, I got a DM from uh, Vinny Smiles on IG Instagram. And uh, Vinny Smiles says, Love you gals. Between listening or been listening for a while. Question though. Why is Beth's mic so crisp and clear and Wendy's microphone sounds like she's talking from her closet? Still going to for you, ladies. Love the content. Have a great week, ladies. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a really, I wanted to read that just because I've had, I have had issues with my sound and I apologize to all the listeners, but I, uh, I, um, have to sort of record around my family. So I've recorded in bathroom studios, in uh, Chevy Equinox studios. I've recorded in garage <laughs> studios. I've recorded in closet <laughs> studios. It's wherever my family will leave me the fuck alone. And, uh, and, and where it's semi-quiet. Uh, and so today I am in laundry room studios because it was too hot for my computer and my microphone. Uh, and I think we sound okay. I can hear myself. Beth says I sound okay. So again, please forgive yeah, me, hopefully. but we should be good sound wise from now on. So sorry, y'all. Yeah, we hope, we hope so. Yeah. Our, <laughs> yeah. We've got for our listeners who have stuck with us even through yeah, our trials. Thank you. Thank you so much. And and somebody uh, on our Facebook page um, said something that surprised me. Uh, she didn't know that, and maybe a lot of people don't know that we are not actually recording in the same space. Oh, 
yeah. Beth is like 45 minutes away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are recording in our in our different houses. So that's why yeah. um, it can sometimes sound a little different. Yeah. But again, we just thank all of you. We love you. We love you. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> yeah. Besos, besos y abrazos. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So now we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to dive into the story when we come back. The future of the Negro in this country is precisely as bright or as dark as the future of the country. What white people have to do is try to find out in their own hearts why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Welcome to Wild Black, a podcast all about the struggles of life while black. Authorities have released dash cam video revealing the chilling moments that led to a police officer shooting and killing Philando Castile. The only place racism doesn't exist is Fox News and the police department. Stop. I'm telling you to stop and I'm not going to tell you again. And what will you do if I don't stop? I will detain you. All I'm asking is what you But you know, I don't need to tell you that information, man. If you want to come into my building. It's not your building. You're not the owner. Here's the thing. The most dangerous place for black people to live is in white people's imagination. Plus all the dopeness in life while black. Our culture is just so vibrant. And that's why people are so drawn to us. This is who we are as a people. We're just some of the most powerful beings. My husband uh, was a math teacher for many, many years. He doesn't teach the Pythagorean theorem. He teaches the so-called Pythagorean theorem because Pythagoras went to Egypt to learn that. This race and culture of people runs the gamut from the lightest of the light to the darkest of the dark. We got all flavors. There's power in this skin. And if it wasn't so much power in this skin, they wouldn't be trying so hard to kill us. Mixes it with a little humor. In order to get McDonald's from your parents when you was a little shorty, what must you have? You got some McDonald's money? Damn, that's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You Boom. got some McDonald's you money. You got some McDonald's money? <laughs> you got a McDonald's job? <laughs> right. Yeah. When it comes to your grits, brother, do you do salt or sugar? Sugar. <sighs> that's the only way, man. I'm from Arkansas. I'm a country boy. Oh, man. We put sugar in everything. 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 Just to remind us how powerful we are. Is something about being on a talented underdog team. The score is 450 years to zero. Do yourself and your culture a favor and go check us out on any podcast platform. Peace. Welcome to Wild Black, a seriously opinionated podcast bringing you the real and raw So, um, who are we talking about again today, Beth? Today we are talking about Winston Mosley, who is known as the man who killed Kitty Genovese. Kitty became famous for her murder, unfortunately, Um, Mm -hmm. but it was because she became a symbol for urban apathy. When she was killed outside of her apartment, uh, allegedly nobody helped her or called for help. There's a lot more to that story that a lot of people don't know, including the fact that Winston Mosley was a serial killer. Right. I had no idea. I've heard I've I heard of the Kitty either. Genovese case, mm-hmm. but I'd never heard of Winston Mosley. So let's get yeah. into it. Now we're going to get into his stats. All right. My favorite part of the story, Winston <laughs> Mosley, a.k.a. the dude that killed Kitty Genovese and led to the implementation of the 911 emergency phone system, was born on March 2nd, 1935 in Harlem. Harlem's way different now. They got white people there. Um, he mm-hmm. raped and murdered three women. 
Uh, the crimes occurred from 1963 to 1964. Uh, he was arrested April 1st, 1964. Um, his victims were Barbara, uh, speak their names, right? Because they matter. Uh, Barbara Kralik was a 15-year-old girl. Annie Mae Johnson was 24 years old. And Catherine Kitty Genovese was 28. Um, his M.O. was stabbing with a knife. And uh, I think he shot one victim. And he was a thrill killer. The crimes occurred in Queens, New York, which, by the way, is a super diverse borough. Um, yeah. And I think Queens, New York, deserves credit for that. Um, he sent. He was sentenced to death. And on uh, June 15, 1964, his sentence was reduced to life imprisonment on um, uh, June 1st, 1967. So now we're going to dive into the setting. Take us there, Beth. So the setting is New York, New York in the 60s. Mm. As we all know, it was a time of turbulent change. There were civil rights and anti-war protests and uh, the Harlem riot of 1964, which started over the police shooting of a 15-year-old black Puerto Rican boy. Same shit, mm. different century, guys. Amen. The shooting, Amen. yeah. The shooting set off six consecutive nights of rioting. So um, Mosley was a great migration baby who came of age in Harlem in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So <clears throat> welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. Now, during that time, um, life for Black people in America was extremely difficult, oppressive, and dangerous. It's, um, it's a little bit better now. <laughs> But uh, not without the difficulties and, and oppression and, and, and danger. But life was also difficult for LGBTQ people, which is important um, when we get to the, par the, the part about Kitty Genovese's story. Um, it was a time in New York where you could be arrested for being outwardly gay or trans, which is wild to me. Yeah. Um, it was actually, yeah, it was against the law to dress in clothing of the opposite gender. Um the Stonewall riots were a little ways off in 1969, but it was bubbling below the surface. If you don't know, there was a series of spontaneous violent demonstrations by the LGBTQ community. And I have to mention that the violence was perpetrated on the LGBTQ community and they fought back. So they weren't the ones initiating the violence. There was a raid at a gay bar called Stonewall Inn that began in the early morning hours of June 28th, 1969 in Greenwich Village. I think we just celebrated the 50 year anniversary of the Stonewall riots. Um, right. The raid sparked a riot among bar patrons and neighborhood residents as police roughly hauled employees and patrons out of the bar, leading to six days of protest and violent clashes with law enforcement outside the bar on Christopher Street, in neighboring streets and in nearby Christopher Park. The Stonewall riots served as a catalyst for the gay rights movement in the United States and around the world. And I have to shout out um, black and brown um, trans um, men and women who actually were the ones leading the charge in this mm -hmm. um, fight for rights. Right. And unfortunately, they were um, um, ostracized. In, yeah. terms, in the movement initially, um, because white gay uh, people um, did not believe that they belonged. And so that is a, a reality of the, of the story. And so I just wanted to make sure that Mention our listeners it. were yeah. aware of it, because a lot of mm -hmm. people are not. Um, I also wanted to talk about riots, because people might watch 
TV and be like, why are those black people or LGBTQ people so mad? Why are they destroying their own neighborhood? And the truth is, the buildings they are destroying aren't owned by them. It's not theirs. Um, the, the people who own those buildings and businesses don't treat them with respect. They don't hire them for jobs. They kick them out. Um, and so the anger isn't an acute issue. It's actually very chronic and, and is building and bubbling under the surface. So usually after law enforcement um, is acting excessively or after using deadly force against a marginalized group, the group says, no, nah, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. And then there's there's always a demonstration after something like that happens. Um, think Ferguson. Um, oh gosh, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But most of the riots um, occur after um, an egregious act by law enforcement or the government. Um, and MLK right. said that riots are the voice of the unheard. So, yeah. And I think it's just pure anger. And they're... Mm-hmm you know, just reacting. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're, it, they're furious. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and with desperate. good reason. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, we want this show to be about an hour, so we're not going to get into it more, but follow us <laughs> on social media and get into it more. <laughs> um, now we're going to get into the killer's early life. What do you got for us, Beth, about Mr. Mosley? Winston Mosley was born on March 2nd, 1935 at Harlem Hospital. He was an only child. His mother, Fanny, was from Flint, Michigan, and she met her husband, Alfonso, who was from Selma, Alabama, in Flint, when Alfonso mm-hmm. came through town with his dance band. Ooh. When they moved to New York, Alfonso got a job as a subway change booth clerk. Mm. Reportedly, the couple fought a lot, and Fanny bullied Alfonso. Ooh, bow chicka, wow, wow, not. <laughs> um, Fanny... <laughs> Fanny later claimed that Winston had a happy childhood and that he could read before he started school. However, she sometimes left him alone at night when Alfonso was working the night shift, and she went out to meet other men. When Winston was nine, Fanny told him that she had to go to the hospital to have a tumor removed. She never came back. But that wasn't because she had died. Fanny was (laughs) sick of married life, and she fled back to Michigan. Alfonso did not feel that he could raise Winston on his own, so he sent him to his maternal grandmother, who lived on a farm in Holly, Michigan. There, Winston enjoyed studying the animals and insects and dreamed of becoming a scientist or a special agent for the FBI. He had difficulty making friends and relating to the other children. Yeah, and um, I, I, we'll get into like his personality a little bit later, but I wonder if he had Asperger's. I don't know. Um, anyway, when Winston was 10, Alfonso moved to Detroit and sent for him. Eventually, Alfonso told him a hard truth. Alfonso was not his biological father. Winston lost his virginity at 16 to one of his aunts who was bored with her husband. Oh, boy. Pretty traumatic. Yeah, that's well. Yeah, that's oof. out there. Yeah. Yeah. Winston Mosley married Pauline Sisko in 1955 when he was 19 and Pauline was 17. They then moved to Brooklyn and lived in an apartment over a bar. Then Pauline began sleeping with the bartender. When he found out, Mosley bought a gun and threatened to shoot the bartender. He pointed the gun at Pauline, who snatched it away from him and pointed it at him. How does it feel to have a gun pointed in your face? She asked him. Kill me. I don't care, he replied. Woo! 
Yeah. Well, um, I, I just wanted to say about Winston um, being sexually abused by an aunt. Um, I believe that slavery, it, it is part of the narrative of the Black experience. Slave yeah. masters sexually abused um, their male and female slaves. Right. And um, and so that uh, trait uh, ends May up have been being a factor. perpetuated, yeah. Yeah, perpetuated in, in families later on um, yeah. because that's the behavior that they were shown. Um, and, and then through generations, it, it doesn't necessarily go away because nobody talks about it. Um, and so I just wanted to uh, just mention that, that, right, that, right. that comes from somewhere. The aunt who abused him was probably abused too. And the, right. somebody probably abused her too and somebody before that. And so anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Um, Mosley filed for divorce in 1957 and joined Alfonso in Queens, where Alfonso ran a TV and radio repair shop. Even though Alfonso was not his biological father, Mosley still considered the man who raised him his father. Mosley got a job at the Ray Graham Corporation in Mount Vernon. It was just north of the Bronx where he programmed punch cards for first generation computers. Mosley met a woman named Betty in a record store. She was a nursing student. Betty described him as calm and mannerly, and he knew a lot about music. His musical tastes were eclectic, and he even took Betty to some operas. He never cursed. The couple married in 1961, and a son was born in 1962. Some days he didn't speak to Betty at all. Other days he was overly affectionate. Sometimes he stopped to drink at a bar on his way home and didn't come home until after dinner. Mosley was still fascinated by ants, and he kept an ant farm in the kitchen. He also had five German shepherds. That's a lot of German shepherds. Mm -hmm. At Ray Graham, Mosley was making $100 a week, and Betty was working as a nurse in a hospital. They were doing well. They lived in a four-bedroom house in the South Ozone Park in Queens, which I kind of looked up. It is a, a pretty, like, it's what right now it's one-fourth black. So 25% um, of the people okay. there are black people. So, and uh, they even owned two cars. Yeah, they were balling, I think. I think so, too. They were doing yeah. pretty, they were doing good. Yeah, I mean, really American good. dream, hello, yeah, I'm yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> and I read somewhere that Betty was making almost as much as Mosley, like $98 a week, something like that. So, and back then that, that was a lot of money. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So Mosley let his mother, Fanny come and live with him and Betty, which made Alfonso angry. Alfonso began stalking Fanny and he threatened to kill her. Fanny told Mosley who talked to Alfonso about it, telling him that he needed to stop. He was worried that Alfonso would get in trouble. So Mosley actually told him that he would kill Fanny for him if he wanted. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, (laughs) I think I'm good, bro. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Apparently, Alfonso didn't take him up on his offer. But can you imagine? He offered to kill his own mom. No, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, Well, she did leave him. She was kind of shitty. So, yeah. Kind of shitty, and 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 he was sexually abused by an aunt, and that yeah. was sort of under her watch. So, right. 
yeah, a lot of reasons to not like love and adore your mom. I mean, I yeah, get it. yeah. Um, Mosley would bring TVs and radios to Alfonso, which Alfonso would then turn around and sell. Alfonso didn't ask where these items came from. He probably didn't want to know. During the winter of 1963 to 1964, Mosley became impotent. Uh-oh. Before, Mosley had been fastidious, but he stopped taking care of himself. He skipped showers and didn't sleep as much. Betty would wake up and he would not be home. She asked him if anything was wrong, but he said no. So now we are going to dive into the timeline of the murders. So hit it, Beth! <laughs> On July 20th, 1963, Barbara Kralik, 15, who was a white girl, was stabbed six times in her bedroom in her parents' Springfield Gardens home. She died 12 hours later. Police didn't know it was Mosley at the time, and they arrested a 19-year-old teen named Alvin L. Mitchell, and they tortured a confession out of him. And I, I mean... When we say like tortured a confession out of him, like they beat him, and yeah, they beat him. Um, I mean, just watch This Is Us. I shouted out, shouted it out in the last episode. I mean, what the police can do to somebody who doesn't know any better, doesn't know that they can ask for a lawyer, is insane. I mean, especially <laughs> anyway, back then. So yeah, I, it was it was like a hundred times worse imagine. back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. On uh, February 29th, 1963, housewife Annie Mae Johnson, a black woman, was shot and then burned to death. Mosley spotted her parking her car on a snowy night a few blocks from his house. He parked behind her, jumped out, and then threatened her with a gun. She gave him her purse, he took it, and then he shot her. He shot her three or four times and then rolled her into her house, undressed her, and raped her. He took her scarf off of her neck, covered her in crumpled up newspapers, stuffed the scarf between her legs, and then lit the newspapers and the scarf on fire. Mm. Awful. Yeah. On March 13, 1964, Kitty Genovese was murdered. Kitty was a pretty gregarious woman who worked as a manager in a bar. She usually worked days, but on Thursday, March 12th, she pulled a double shift. Kitty was a lesbian, and she lived with her girlfriend, Marianne Zialongo. Mosley's wife, Betty, worked nights as a nurse at the hospital. That Thursday, Betty left for work, and Mosley tucked his kids into bed. Then he watched TV. He looked in on his kids and then went for a drive around 1.30 a.m. Around 3 a.m., he saw Kitty get into her car and began following her. When she parked in the parking lot of the train station, he parked at a nearby bus stop. Kitty started walking towards her apartment and Mosley pulled on a stocking cap. He got out of his car and started following her. Kitty must have noticed him because she began to run. And it was by now about 3.19 a.m. Mosley caught up with her, grabbed her, and she screamed. He stabbed her in the back. Lights went on in a nearby apartment complex and a man called down, let that girl alone. Mm. Later, it was learned that he and several other people thought it was a couple in the middle of a drunken domestic dispute and they didn't know that Kitty had been stabbed. And I want to mention also that during this time, uh, domestic violence was not as frowned upon as it is these days. So, you know, they, mm -hmm. they weren't that concerned about it. You know, there's a guy beating up his wife. Oh, well. Yeah. 
and raping her, no big deal. And I don't think raping your wife was illegal back then. No, I don't think so either. So um, Mosley ran away, lights went out, and Kitty staggered down the street and around a corner towards her apartment, which was in the back of the building facing the railroad tracks, where she could no longer be seen by the apartment complex. She made it to the entryway of one of the apartments at the back of the building, and she collapsed. In the meantime, Mosley went back to his car, moved it, took off his stocking cap, put on a fedora, and then went looking for Kitty again. He found her in the entryway. There he stabbed her again, raped her, and stole her wallet. He took the money and later threw the wallet in the weeds by the Ray Graham parking lot. It is kind of interesting to me how he kept coming for her. Like, he wasn't like, all right, this is enough. I'm leaving. It didn't no, work. It didn't no. work out. It was he like a, obsessed. Yeah. Yeah, he was obsessed. Um, so now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. So later that week, police got a call about a suspected robbery. When police arrived, they found a television in the trunk of the suspect's car. It was mostly, and he was arrested and taken to the station where he confessed in a very nonchalant way to stealing appliances dozens of times. He was very calm, as we mentioned yeah. earlier. Mosley drove a white Corvair, and one of the detectives remembered that some of the witnesses to Genovese's murder had reported seeing a white car. Detectives also noticed scabs on Mosley's hands, and they accused him of killing Kitty Genovese. Mosley then confessed and detailed the attack, corroborating the physical evidence at the scene. His motive for the attack was simply to kill a woman. Mm, sorry. Excuse me. I was just looking up what a Corvair was. <laughs> I see. <laughs> uh, all right. It's a pretty regular old schooly car. Yeah. Um, so uh, he told police that he had also killed Barbara Kralik on July 20th and Annie Mae Johnson on February 29th. Both were savage killings and may have involved sexual assault. But another man was already in custody for the Kralik killing. Uh, and Mosley told police that he shot Annie Mae Johnson several times. But her autopsy listed the, co- listed the cause of death as puncture wounds from a sharp object, such as a screwdriver or an ice pick. Mosley was insistent. He had killed all three of them, he said. Based on Mosley's confession, Annie Mae Johnson's body was exhumed and a second autopsy performed. Using x-ray equipment borrowed from a medical college, the coroner found six bullets inside of Johnson's body. Four of the bullets Mm. were recovered. In the murder of 15-year-old Barbara Kralik, there was blood evidence available, but no test yet existed that could compare bodily fluids for conclusive DNA identification. Mosley, however, was able to supply details that conform to the existing evidence. There was more. Oh, there's more. (laughs) Mosley confessed to the other attacks during nighttime expeditions in which he would roam the streets searching for victims at random. He said he raped many women, frequently robbing them in the process. Mosley also admitted to dozens of burglaries, including the one for which he was arrested when he was caught stealing a television. But it was the sexual assaults that had detectives interested, particularly the failed attempts of rape, which several women had reported. In the New York Times morning edition for March 27th, 1964, they ran one of its most infamous stories. For more than half an hour, read the front page article by reporter Martin Gansberg. 
38 respectable law-abiding citizens in Queens watched a killer stalk and stab a woman in three separate attacks in Kew Gardens. That's the headline I remember. I mean, yep. I wasn't around yeah. then, but that, that's yeah, what that's everybody the story remembers. From I remember, story. yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is the story that most people remember. <laughs> we just said that. It was supposedly evidence of what they called urban apathy, that people, when living in cities, began to not care about each other. This led to a lot of studies and the psychological theory that became known as the Genovese syndrome or the bystander effect. Researchers found that individuals will intervene if another person is in need of help, but that help is less likely to be given if more people are present. Yeah, and I think a lot of people assume that somebody else is going to do something. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I can't yeah. I can't think of any situations <laughs> that I've been in where th- something like this has happened but um yeah I've called 911 on on things like somebody like pulled over on the freeway or something like that uh-huh. or a fire or mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. and they'll just tell you oh this has been reported you know and so a lot of oh. times I I won't call because I assume somebody else has reported it. So well, I hate calling the police on people of Any, color. I'm, anything, I just, yeah. And on, 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean. So, side note. Oh God, it's, I don't want this episode to go too long. But like, my kids do um, swimming lessons in the middle of South Phoenix, which is in the heart of the um, hood, and right. um, there are crack deals going on like in the front of the pool and Today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We'd just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. Then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here. Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? (laughs) Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ. And then what? Well, (laughs) while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We we were up in the clouds, (laughs) scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is I'm on level 393. Right on. (laughs) Yes, it sounds incredible. But if Mm -hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy in an imaginary (laughs) private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground at work or in line at the grocery store, one thing is true. Best Fiends is just plain fun. Mm, It is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry, I was just looking at this funny text from Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's favorite, you'll Mm -hmm. never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Download your favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable 
affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow! Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today or in the future, never or are undecided, it's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. You know, my husband, my old whitey, get off my lawn. Um, can I speak to a manager? My husband was like, we should call the police. But I was like, if you call the police on those black people, like you're going to break up families. Like, I just, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel right about calling the police on people. Of color. If nobody's dead or if nobody's like bleeding out or if my kids aren't hurt, like I don't see any need to get law enforcement involved yeah. because they always um, forget about the reason they're called. What are the black people doing or right. what are the people of color doing? And right. let's police them. So yeah. that's my issue with calling 911. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really bad. That, but that's my truth. <laughs> That's my truth. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, no, that's my truth. Um, I'm just thinking of times when I've seen like car accidents or, you know, fires or things like that, where you're just letting them know that, you know, somebody needs help. Yeah. But like a lot of white people have been using 911 oh, as yeah. like they're, they're uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. So I think the police need to get involved. Yeah. You know, yeah. girls, little girls selling water. Yeah. Um, don't, don't call the police for that. <laughs> don't, 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 don't do that white people. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> so anyway. So anyway, back to. Yes. Back to the story. Where are we? So what a lot of people don't know is that news story that was in the New York Times was inaccurate. There were only two attacks, not three. Of the witnesses, most of them were ear witnesses, people who had heard mm -hmm. something but either didn't know what it was or when they looked out the window didn't see anything. And the number 38, 38 witnesses was random and not accurate at all. What? Yeah, there were people who were bunched together and it was just people that they had interviewed. And uh, oh my. so, yeah, it was it was not accurate. Well, that's not good journalism. No. Uh, so some of the witnesses, as we mentioned, thought the attack was a drunken domestic squabble. Many said that they did call the police. One woman who was French called the police and then hung up because the anxiety of the moment, you know, she couldn't find the English to tell the operator what was happening. Yeah. And the way that these calls were handled back then are different from how they're handled these days. There was no 911 system and no 911 dispatchers. Mm -hmm. You would dial zero and uh, mm -hmm. get an operator and then um, they would transfer you. And sometimes the calls didn't get through. Woo! Also, people could sometimes be reluctant to speak to the police because the police could be incredibly rude and harassing. Mm interesting take. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, wow, that's wild. Um, yeah. Well, 
man, that's great. That's crazy that that there was a time period where there was no nine one one. Um, yeah. Thank goodness to nine one one and to the dispatch. I actually remember that. I mean, nine one was was implemented in the late sixties, but it didn't. Um, it wasn't throughout the whole country. I think until like the late eighties. So um, I remember. Oh my god! Yeah, I remember in the seventies being told to dial zero for the operator if I needed, you know, emergency personnel. Really? Yep. Wow. That's wild. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> hey, hashtag progress. Uh, shout out to 911. Uh, the guy who made the most quoted comment that he didn't want to get involved was Carl Ross, who lived in an apartment at the top of the stairs at the entryway where Kitty was attacked the second time. He was gay and was probably terrified to call the police because of the way the police were known to harass gay people. Makes sense. He was also drunk at the time, but he did eventually call a friend who called the police for him. That friend also called Kitty's friend and neighbor, Sophie Farrar, who ran to Kitty despite any danger to herself and held Kitty in her arms until an ambulance took her to the hospital. And then Kitty died en route to the hospital. And um, if you watch the movie The Witness, uh, her brother, Kitty's brother, didn't even know mm-hmm. about Sophie Farrar until uh, just recently. Right. And my understanding is he was relieved in some weird way about the fact that she wasn't alone when she yeah. was dying and suffering. Yeah. yeah. I, I would think that would be comforting. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the trial. Mosley's defense attorney planned to plead his client guilty by reason of insanity, but there were problems with the prosecution's case. As we mentioned, another suspect, 18-year-old Alvin Mitchell, who was innocent, was already charged with the Kralik murder, and prosecutors refused. Prosecutors, you got to stop doing this. Prosecutors <laughs> refused to cancel his trial on the basis of Mosley's confession. It's like once they get started, they can't they stop. They can't stop, yeah. They have this culture in prosecutors' offices of just, we got to just keep going. Got to keep gotta going, just, yeah. You know, yeah. We, we, can't, we can't abandon this theory. We just have to ram it up the people's ass. <laughs> <laughs> we just got to keep going. Get more lube. <laughs> They did have a quote-unquote confession from Mitchell, but it wasn't great. Their suspect didn't remember stabbing Kralik. He thought he might have punched her a few times. Mitchell said he confessed only to stop beatings from the detectives. Which many um, men of color did at the time. Um, uh, And (laughs) this is not a new thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once slavery ended, this this is how they would... Um, this is how the prison population has increased. So right. um, people um, getting beaten into confessing to crimes they didn't commit because they are under the illusion because the police can lie to you that they will go home and they don't. Yeah. Um, during the trial, Mosley took the stand. As we mentioned earlier, Mosley said that his motive for the attack was simply to kill a woman, a white woman in particular, because he wanted to see if it was different. He said that he would become obsessed. Well, that makes sense with Kitty 
with the idea and that he would not be able to get rid of the compulsion until he did it. On June 11, 1964, Mosley was convicted of first-degree murder in the Genovese case. Four days later, he was sentenced to death. Alvin Mitchell then went to trial later that month with Mosley repeating his confessions from the witness stand on June 23rd. So Mitchell's trial ended in a hung jury, but he was eventually convicted during a second trial. I do not fucking understand why. Again, Mosley served as a witness, but this time he refused to talk, saying, quote unquote, I didn't do it, he testified. And I, I don't intend to go into any explanation as to why, end quote. Um... This is awful. Yeah. Mitchell was convicted of first-degree manslaughter. He served 12 years and eight months before being released. Later, when asked why he confessed, he said, I would have confessed to killing the president because then people had me scared to death. And I bet they Mm -hmm. did. Well, I bet they did. I I am certain he was telling the truth on that one. In 1967, Mosley's death sentence was reduced to life in prison. In 1968, Mosley was found to have a spam tin stuck in his rectum. Now, I <laughs> love spam, and those cans are pretty, pretty big. big. Yeah. And he had to be transferred from Attica Prison to a hospital where he had a rectal surgery to remove it, and he recovered. En route back to Attica, he escaped from the guards and fled. He broke into an empty house in Buffalo, New York, 900 yards from the hospital. After three days of watching TV and eating canned food, he called a local employment office and asked them to send a maid. When the maid, Zella Moore, arrived, she cleaned the house. Afterwards, he threatened her with a gun he'd found in the house. Then he raped her, warning that if she told anyone, he'd find and kill her children. He allowed her to go, but scared of police, she did not notify them. Oh, man. Everybody was terrified of the police back Every, Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> I'm still terrified of the police yeah. to this day. <laughs> so uh, instead, she left a scared, confused uh, message for the house's owners. Concerned, the owners called the police and asked them to meet them at the house, that someone might have broken in. The police were in the middle of a shift change. Ooh, that's not a good time to get in contact with (laughs) anybody because nobody gives a fuck. So the police were in the middle of a shift change and asked her to call back later. Now, now mind (laughs) you, this is in the middle of a manhunt. Uh, They're looking for uh, Mosley. They know he's escaped. They're looking for him. It's the middle of a manhunt. They call and say, hey, somebody might be living in our house. And they're like, oh, Mm -hmm. call us back later. We're in the middle of a shift change. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> come on y'all come on blue, come on, boys blue. so the husband and wife uh the owners of the house didn't want to wait so uh they went over to the house and when they arrived mosley surprised them and tied up the husband and raped the wife <gasps> yeah later Ooh. the district attorney filed charges against the cleaning woman for failing to report her Stop. rapist to police. Oh, my God. And then after a standoff in downtown Buffalo, uh, because he, he took a, a car and took off and went to another house and threatened some other people, um, Mosley mm. was arrested again and returned to jail. How dare they threaten that woman for 
being raped. I mean, I mean, and and charge her. That's in- yeah. fucking insane. Yeah. Jesus, goddamn Christ. Yeah. Uh, in 1977, Mosley earned his bachelor's degree from Niagara University's Correspondence School, majoring in sociology and earning his uh, earning straight A's. Oh, good for him. According to the school's website, all sociology majors are required to take a basic psychology course. If Mosley's textbook was up to date, he would have read a summary of Kitty's murder, presented as the origin story for the research into the bystander effect. Also in 1977, Mosley wrote a letter to the New York Times titled, Today I'm a man who wants to be an asset, claiming that he had changed. And in letters to a pen pal, he claimed that on the night he killed Kitty, he felt defeated by two divorces and separation from his children, which was not true. He was living with his second wife and his children. He also said in his letters to his pen pal that uh, his parents, uh, to whom he was very close, had been having serious problems for years. He wrote that it created a psychological disturbance for me. And that part, I believe. Yeah, that sounds that sounds accurate. That sounds mm-hmm. true. Okay, yeah, there, okay. there was some okay. shit going down with that. Yeah, there was. Uh, after attacking Kitty and running away, he wrote, What I went back for was some vague notion of taking her to a hospital. Do not believe that. No. Nope. After putting on a different hat to avoid recognition, he returned to her apartment building. He found Kitty on the floor of her building's entry. When she saw him, he claimed she began using abusive racist language. Now, all accounts or all podcasts and, and YouTube videos mention this aspect of the story. And they were, nobody else believes it's true. But this was the 60s. This was New York. And this was a white lady. And I, I don't, I believe. I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility, but Mosley never mentioned any of it during his trial or before that he just mentioned it Mm -hmm. in these letters. And uh, I think later to his family, he, his story changed Mm -hmm. a lot. So I don't, it's possible, but I don't, it did change a lot. You're right. It is possible. And I uh, am leaning towards maybe she did say a thing or two. Maybe she did throw out it. I mean, you're, if she's dying, like playing for her life, you're going to say all the mean you're going to say all kinds of stuff. So the other problem with that part of the story is that at that time she um, had been stabbed in the lungs and uh, really couldn't talk. talk. Yeah. So. Okay. 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 So, So, I I mean, mean, it's like I said, it's, it's not outside the realm of possibility. Like you said, it's, it was the sixties and, and uh, it could have happened, but um, I, kind of on the fence on that i don't know mm, okay well uh Squad, let us know what you think. yeah and in any case she did not deserve <laughs> what she got <laughs> exactly yes 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 so also in his letters he wrote that i stopped being human Overcome with hatred, I guess because of uh, the abusive, racist language, he attacked her again, stabbing her repeatedly while she called for help. Mosley wrote that he didn't feel hurried because he knew no one would come, no one would interfere. And I also don't believe that. I think he was just obsessed, like like uh, we were talking about. He had a compulsion and he could not stop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is terrifying, though. To hear yeah. a murderer say, "No one, I knew no one would come." Right, right. <laughs> oh, that's, that's yeah, that's awful. not um, not good. 
Between 1984 and 1995, Mosley went through six parole hearings. At one parole hearing, he said, for a victim outside, it's a one time or one hour or one minute affair. But the person who's caught, it's forever. No, motherfucker. That's not how it works. Yeah, you you ruin a whole fucking family, community, and uh, they are still living. Even Marianne to this day is like, she's still devastated. Yeah. 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 So, no, Mr. Mosley. He has also said the crime was tragic, but it did serve society, urging it as it did to come to the aid of its members in distress or in danger. Oh, so he did a good thing for society. (laughs) You know, uh, we're not going to we're not going to give Mosley the credit. I mean, I know he's bullshit on that. Yeah, I just call a big like this guy deserves a big fart in his face. <laughs> uh, he, he has also at times blamed his father Alfonso and his parents' marriage. Well, lots of people, and and you've said this before, Beth. I feel sorry for the child that he was, but lots right. of people have fucked up childhoods, and they and don't, don't do murder. This. Yeah, yeah, and and it may no. may have had a factor, but it you know you can you did it dude, you did it. So, you know, take responsibility. Look, and again, also, I can't imagine being a black person. I'm a black person now and have severe PTSD for living in this country. Uh, And I can't imagine the stress, strife, fear, and um, just anxiety level of a black person living in in, um, the 60s. I can't, I can't imagine um, and so, yeah, that too. But a lot of black people didn't kill other people. So, yeah. uh, you know, anyway, <laughs> so where are they now? So the murder of Kitty Genovese is credited as one of the factors that pushed the emergency 911 system into place after New York City officials joined in a national effort involving officials in other cities. It became the national emergency number in 1968. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Not, shout out to 911. Yeah. Which I will never call unless it's absolutely necessary. But, but shout out to thank, thankfully it's there if you need it. If you need it. It's there if we need it. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Mosley's son, Stephen, has stated that he believes Mosley attacked Genevieve because she yelled racial slurs at him. Mosley later claimed innocence and said that a mobster executed Genevieve and he was only the getaway driver. And Stephen Mosley spent most of his life looking over his shoulder because he'd been told by his father uh, that he killed a member of the notorious Genovese crime family. They had no relation None to None whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody was ever charged with the murder of Annie Mae Johnson. Um, Which is really sad. why. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredibly sad for that mm-hmm. the whole Johnson family. Yeah. Um, but I gotta I'm just thinking probably maybe the fact had to do with the fact that she was a she a, she a was black the woman. only black victim, yeah. Yeah. So Mosley died on March twenty eighth, two thousand and sixteen at the maximum security Clinton Correctional Facility in Danamora, New York, near the Canadian border. He had been imprisoned for 52 years since July 7th, 1964, and was one of the state's longest serving inmates. He was 81. Holy moly. 
Um, by the way, I um, feel like a real dum-dum because I watched that Escaped Danamora uh-huh. and I didn't realize that Danamora was like a real place. I thought it was made up. Oh, no. Um, it's a real it's place. Kind of a, it's like a, it, it's a, it reminds me of like, this is a city that would be in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Danamora. <laughs> you know, it, 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 is, it has a very fictional sounding name. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> nope, it's a real place. Yeah. <laughs> It's and and apparently, apparently it's really shitty there. So, Ooh. well, we <laughs> we have a lot a long way to go on our on our on our prison um, systems and our detention, um, whatever it's going on with ICE and uh, mm-hmm. the detention centers, which are making a lot of money for those prison um, builders, yeah. but really devastating lives of human fucking beings. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. So now we're going to get into what made him or her snap and we're also going to share our takeaways so i can't imagine living as i said earlier living in the u.s as a black person or even as an lgbtq person or as a woman even in the 30s 40s 50s and 60s in the united states mosley's mother leaving had to have a profound effect on his view of women um he was also i think molested by an aunt so that didn't help and his first marriage failed and his wife sounded like she really put him through the ringer. Um, perhaps he saw his mother and all those women in his life in his victims and was trying to kill maybe the idea of them. Um, sources also said that his mom was abusive to his dad and perhaps that had an effect on him. Um, also, I'm puzzled by people who have full-time jobs, full-time ass jobs, spouses and children and mortgages who have the time to go out at night and hunt for other people. When do they sleep? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Well, he did start to lose it towards the end there. He wasn't showering and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't have enough time to do all his hobbies and things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Now I feel like serial killers, they're just like us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I agree. I think his mom leaving was probably a factor and his aunt molesting him, then his wife who had the affairs. Um, and he probably harbored a lot of anger towards women. Um, and like I said, he seemed to deteriorate in 63 when he started mm-hmm. his murders. Um, that was around the time his mother moved in with them. And that's when he started wow. to deteriorate. And in the documentary, The Witness, uh, there was an interview with him. And um, did you watch that movie? I saw it a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. So there was an interview with him. And all I can say is that he is fucking spooky. When people talk mm. about someone, someone having a flat affect, meaning very little emotion, I think this is what they mean. His wife described mm-hmm. him as calm, and a lot of other people also commented about how calm he was, even when talking about his crimes. He has, like, no mm-hmm. emotion at all, and it is freaky as hell. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> a lot of different mental conditions have the symptom of flat affect, including psychopathology. He has tried to say uh, that he's sorry for the crime. But then other times he has denied that he committed the crime. I don't think he has remorse, and I suspect that he is a psychopath. Um, And he was diagnosed at one time with incipient schizophrenia, which is like, 
basically borderline schizophrenia. Oh. And I listened to the audiobook that's called Kitty Genovese, The Murder, The Bystanders, The Crime That Changed America by Kevin Cook. And I got most of the information mm-hmm. about Winston Mosley from that book. And there's a lot of mm. in- information in there also about what it was like to be gay in the 60s. And uh, it, mm. that part actually... Um, I, I was almost in tears. It was it was really hard. It was yeah, not not very, a very very yeah yeah. That's why we celebrate Stonewall. Yes, and pride parades. Uh-huh. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I can I yeah I um, watched the documentary about uh, the um, uh, black woman or the black trans woman. Her name is Marsha Johnson. Is that her name? Marcia yes, Marsha P. Johnson. And yeah. P stands for just pay him no mind, honey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and she was an incredible woman. But um, she and I think I can't remember what her um, her uh, good friend was uh, named, but she was also a trans woman um, who really ended up. Um, again the 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 gay community was not unlike america white men were really um predominant and had um the the power and uh the lgbtq people of color were really um just bottom of the barrel and yeah. it, uh, treated really unfairly they weren't even allowed into regular gay b- bars where mostly gay white men patroned and so um, it, uh, it's, if you can find it on Netflix, it's a really good documentary. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking of the way that the, um, treatment that these people endured. Yeah. So now we are going to get into how not to get murdered. <clears throat> if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. All right. What do you got for us, Beth? It looks like you got a lot of a lot of zingers here, a lot of valuable <laughs> tips. Can't wait. Tell us. I just looked up uh, related to this episode tips on how to stay safe when walking alone at night. So just a few tips. Mm-hmm. Keep your keys ready to get into your car or your house quickly and to use as a weapon. If you know in advance that you will be walking alone at night, make sure that your phone is charged and ready just in case you need it. Walk with confidence. Keep some kind of noisemaker on your keychain, like a personal alarm or a whistle. If you have pepper spray, practice using it so you know how to use it if you do need to use it. Don't carry a lot of bags or personal items so you uh, have your arms free. Stay alert and avoid distractions. Head on a swivel. Stay off your phone. And if you can remember to, uh, this is something I read, um, yell, I'm being attacked. Call 911. This gives bystanders directions. 
Oh, good tip. If you're telling them, call 911, call 911, then uh, they're like, oh, I guess I should call 911. Uh, I guess I better call 911. Yeah. Well, shout out to your tip. Thanks for keeping us alive another day. <laughs> um, I, I, speaking of your phone, because it's 2019, y'all, I wanted to shout out some safety apps for your phone that you can download uh, that alert uh, your emergency contacts, some contact law enforcement, or um, make a loud noise that can help ward off attackers. Um, I'm talking about apps like uh, Circle of Six, uh, Red Panic Button, Be Safe, we've talked about uh, in, I think, season one or two and silent beacon and there's others um but any app that works for you and works with your device um it's good to have on yeah. your phone and have handy if you know you're going to be out by yourself download it so, yeah so now we're going to get into some serial killer true crime news um well have you heard the one about the white guy who killed the black kid because his rap music was too loud Oh, this has been big news here. This has been big news here. It did happen in Arizona, but it also has made national news. So let me tell you the deets. Michael Paul Adams was a 27-year-old white man. He admitted to killing uh, and attacking Elijah Al-Amin. Uh, he stabbed him in the back and slashed his throat inside a convenience store in mm. Peoria, Arizona last Thursday, according to court documents. Al-Amin co- collapsed face down trying to flee. Witnesses and police attempted to render aid by applying pressure to his neck, but he was pronounced dead less than 30 minutes later. Police apprehended the suspect, who is a white guy, a few blocks away after he fled the scene on foot, according to a probable cause affidavit. By the way, uh, this dude was released from prison two days prior. Um, He was in prison for a violent crime. Officers said he... Yeah, it's uh, not uh, not happy news. He uh, officer said he had spots of blood on his arm, hands, and feet, and a pocket knife in his possession. He admitted to his involvement in the stabbing and was taken into custody without incident. He later told police, "Get this, rap music makes him feel unsafe because in the past he has been attacked by people, blacks." comma, Hispanics, comma, and Native Americans who listened to rap music, the affidavit said. Adams further stated that people who listen to rap music are a threat to him and to his community. Are you fucking kidding me, you racist cocksucker? The affidavit said. Adam, I added the cocksucker part. <laughs> anyway, Adams stated that, <laughs> that rap music, not the victim, made him feel threatened. And Adams felt the need to be proactive rather than reactive. I'm going to say that proactive and slice the kid's throat and protect himself and the community from the victim. Adams was charged with first degree murder and was being held in lieu of a $1 million bond. Um, so uh, this is a case that we're following here at Fruit Loops HQ. Um, if you guys have any thoughts, comments about it, you know where to find us. Yeah. Uh, but this is really fucked up news. Yeah, really fucked up. <laughs> uh, this was a kid. He was two weeks from his 18th birthday. Wow, that's sad. And he had all kinds of plans about being an entrepreneur and stuff. Jesus. I mean, it's just a, a handsome young man who wasn't doing anything but listening to music on his way home from work. Yeah, so, stopped in a convenience um, store. And, look, uh, yep, awful. yep, at any circle. If this could happen at any circle. Okay. Yeah. And listen, look. If you don't like rap music, <laughs> then don't listen to yeah. it or go away or walk away. I mean, unfortunately, look, not unfortunately, rap music is part of American 
um, the American lexicon of music. It's just yeah. American music made yeah. by black people, brown people, um, people of all colors and races and backgrounds. Even they're even making rap music in Europe and in Asia. I mean, yeah. rap music is everywhere. It's not you're not going to escape it. So. Um, no reason to stab anybody over it. Yeah, is all I'm saying. So yeah, I don't think that's why he just was a big fat racist. I think so too, yeah. with an an angry one. Yeah, um, obviously, and those are the yeah. most dangerous terrorists I am concerned yeah. about. So, yeah, scary. Um, yeah. So now we are going to get into the show where we shout out any content by people of color about people of color or any true crime goodies. So, um, I don't have anything this week. What do you have, Beth? I just wanted to shout out a TV show on investigation discovery called A Crime to Remember. Ooh. It tells the stories of notorious crimes that captivated the attention of the media and the public when they occurred. I, I really like this one because um, there's a lot of history. They talk about the history um, and I, mm-hmm. I'm, I like history. So, um, they, yeah. they talk about the crime and then how it affected society and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now you can watch, uh, episodes from the first three seasons on Hulu. And I watched season two, episode one called 38 Witnesses for this story. And then the one right after it, uh, called The Shot Doctor was about a woman of color. And that was really interesting too. So check it out. Oh, yeah. A Crime to Remember on Investigation Discovery on Hulu. Thank you very much, Beth. Mm -hmm. Um, So where can the people find us? Our website is FruitLoopsPod.com. Our Facebook page is FruitLoopsPod. And our discussion group is FruitLoopsPod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at FruitLoopsPod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com slash merch. All right. Thank you. And <clears throat> this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. 
U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.